Hi, everybody. Thanks for your warm welcome today. We really appreciate it. It's good to be back at Montmorency Community Church, and especially good for me because uh, uh, 13 weeks tomorrow I had open heart surgery, so it's good to be able to be able to speak to you today. I would have been just as happy to be in heaven, but here I am at, at Monty today, so obviously the Lord has more for me to do. I know some of you are praying for me in that, and a few of you have reached out to that effect, so I really appreciate that as well. It's good to know whatever our circumstances and situation in life, that God is in control, whatever the outcome is. I, some of you know that I do ministry in Africa, and I had a lot of my African friends saying, oh, you know, you know, God's with you, so all will be well and that kind of thing. And I said, kept saying to them repeatedly, even if the worst happens, God is still with me and for me. And I think that's, that's when we know whether we have faith or not, right? It's easy to have faith when the circumstances work out well, but when they don't work out well, is your faith still intact? I was glad uh, that Josh mentioned about the Warrandyte situation today and maybe just a, a couple of little updates around that. The Warrandyte Community Church is quite involved in the process for the people at Warrandyte itself. I was talking to the Chairman of Elders last week and they've made their facilities and other things available to families and to uh, basically made everything that they've got um, at the disposal of people who have been hurt and affected in the Warrandyte context particularly. And David Molyneux, who was the pastor two pastors ago, he was a member of the cricket club, so he's very involved in ministering to the families there and so on, and he's, he's the link person for the church in that in that sense because the family actually were members at Warrandyte Community Church uh, a number of years ago. So they're good personal friends of ours. The boy whose wedding, it, the young man whose wedding it was, Mitchell, um, I've known, we've known him since he was a baby, basically. And uh, his sister is in the church at uh, Ringwood Community Church. So lots of connections there that we have. So um, good to know that God's people are doing things in those spaces. So I wanted to encourage you to know that as well. I've been given the topic of reaching the lost for Christ today. And I was conscious as Damo was reading the, the passage, how much in that passage I'm not going to be speaking about today. Because... You know, we could talk about demons and casting out demons, all sorts of things, fortune-telling, all kinds of interesting stuff in that passage. But because the, the topic I was given frames the way that I've approached this passage today. And it's very important when we listen to somebody speak, they often approach it from what they've been asked to do, not everything that's there. They also approach it from the perspective of their experience. And you'll hear some of that today as well. Uh, they also approach it from the perspective of their own personal theology and approach to biblical interpretation. If anybody tells you they just preach what the Bible says, I'm sorry, that's not true. Nobody does that. We preach what we think the Bible says. I just want to make that little distinction because we all have perspectives on what the Bible says. So you'll get this through the grid of my life and experience as well. Take it, let the Holy Spirit take that and think about your own life and your own experience and what that means for you. Pat asked me before if I was going to give an update on health, which I'm not going to do, but that doesn't seem to be... Our clicker doesn't seem to be processing, Chris. Let me go... Oh, did I do that? Let me go back again. Okay, it's working now. Thank you. Oh, I think Chris and I are doing this together. <laughs> la, 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 la. little preview happening here. Okay, but I thought... Pat asked me beforehand if I was going to give an update on health. We don't have time for that today. Uh, although I did notice that I was the only thing on the order of service today that didn't have an end time. 
which is very generous of Josh today. So thank you, Josh. So we'll sort of segue into lunch at some appropriate time. My wife's got her thing up already. My wife said to me uh, last time I spoke at Ringwood Community Church last year, she said, uh, you spoke for 45 minutes today. And I said, well, that's what they gave me. She said, well, you, just because they give you the time, you don't have to take it. Seriously. <laughs> but I thought I'd just make a, a brief comment about the, the three people that you're directly involved with supporting. Uh, so um, on your... I can never figure out which side those are. Okay, on your right. Okay. Pardon? Okay. So um, I, I put that photo of Simon Mubanga with those two people assisting him because Simon, uh, I think, has probably has a gift of evangelism, which is interesting given our topic today. Because everywhere Simon goes, people seem to get converted. And, you know, you know somebody has a gift because of the result. You know, if you tell people you've got a gift of encouragement, but every time you, you encourage them, they get discouraged, that probably tells you something, right? Right? Okay, right. So I think Simon probably has a gift of evangelism because everywhere he goes, people get saved. And every week he's sending me a couple of notes a week and he's been talking to somebody and somebody's got converted and that kind of thing. That's very much who he is. Uh, I, I put that the photo of Joshua and Sylvie with the two children there because these are the two children that they've taken into their home. Uh, the gentleman standing with them in the blue shirt is the father of the children but he is an alcoholic and incapable of caring for his children so Joshua and Sylvie have taken these two children in uh, Eric and Claudine and are giving them, a, giving them a life Claudine has a hearing impediment so they're sending her to a special school Joshua is also a very faithful gospel preacher and in his time at, uh, at the Regendi in Kronziza Church the last 10 years many people have been saved but Joshua laments the fact that a lot of those have disappeared as well. And one of the things that Joshua and I meet once a month uh, on Zoom, and uh, one of the things that Joshua is trying to figure out is, well, we get these people saved, what are we doing wrong that they either fall away or are heading off somewhere else? That's, that's quite a, a conundrum as a pastor to think about those kinds of things. But Joshua has a real heart to reach his community. Uh, Juvenile and Dorcas there in the photo Juvenile is the leader of the Brethren Group in Rwanda. They're structured very centrally, unlike we are in Australia. Uh, Not as independent, much more interdependent than we are in Australia. And Juvenile's passion is to try and help the churches be more effective in reaching people. So all these people are engaged in ministry to lost people. And I want to thank you for your support for them uh, and your partnership with us at HELP uh, in doing so. All those people are... uh, currently en route to the Brethren International Conference that's happening in Malaysia for the next 10 days. Uh, they asked me how come I wasn't going. I said, because I can't get sponsorship like you can. So uh, they've all got sponsorship to go there, otherwise they couldn't afford to be there. So uh, I guess they'll connect with one another because one's from uh, Zambia and the other two are from Rwanda. So thank you for your support and encouragement and prayers for these people. If you want to know more about what we're doing with HELP, we do have a newsletter. If you go to helpct.org, you'll find how to sign up for our newsletter. I'd love to share with you more about what we're doing, but we don't have time for that today because our focus is on this passage today. Now, 
I want to talk a little bit about the, the physical context of what's happening here. So Paul and his team, which includes Luke who's writing this passage, have left Antioch, commissioned by the church in Antioch, which we don't have a pointer on this, do we? Does this have a pointer? Don't think it does. Don't think so. So Antioch is kind of here above my head, up the top of Syria here, modern Syria. So Paul travels through this whole region and goes past his hometown of Tarsus, which is here. All of this stuff... Oh, thank you. Who's got that? Can you do that? Oh, it's it's great to have good technical people. Good morning, Chris. So this whole area that we're talking about here now, you can't do that, can you, Chris? (laughs) This whole area that we're talking about here now, that's modern Turkey. That's the area that we're talking about, the geographic area that we're talking about. And uh, Paul goes to his hometown of Tarsus and passes through this region. And we pick this story up in the earlier part in the book of Acts, sorry, in Acts 16. Paul's in Lystra and Derbe. You'll see Lystra and Derbe there. We've got those places there. And Iconium. So those three places get mentioned in the previous passage because he says that Timothy was respected by the, the brothers at Derby, Lystra and Iconium. So that's the place we're talking about. Iconium is modern Konya uh, in Turkey. Um, now, one of the things that interests me about this is Paul's going on a missionary journey, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. He's going taking the gospel, right? Nice. But there are already Christians there. <laughs> well, Timothy was already a Christian when Paul turns up there, right? Well, doesn't it tell us that? He came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. So there are already Christians there. How do they get there? These are things that sometimes we don't think about when we're looking at the passages. One of the things that we know from the New Testament was that wherever Christians went, they took the gospel with them. And so in some of these places that Paul went to, there are already Christians not so much established churches, but certainly Christians. And he, the way that he describes, um, if I just find this, verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. This, this implies a community of Christians already in these places. Of course, Paul will go to places where there are no Christians, but in some of these places he meets, and, uh, meets Christians who are already there. So the passage that we read tells us that, here we go again, Chris, right? Okay, it tells us that he travelled through these, these places here and he gets to Phrygia. I never know how to say those place names, but anyway. Actually, we learn when we were in Turkey in 2019, I learned that probably all my life I've pronounced most of these names wrong anyway because of how the, the local guy was producing these stuff. Like, uh, you know, for example, Tyatira, in the middle here where Lydia was from, that one there, he said Tyterra, so there you go. So... Who knows? I don't really know. So Paul gets to this place here, into this area here, and he goes up into Mysia, where Chris is ahead of me, he's great, and he wants to go into Bithynia, which is above there, and he wants to come down into the larger cities of the province of Asia because one of the things that Paul was, was that he was very strategic. And Paul's idea was if I take the gospel to the cities and establish communities there, then people will spread out from that. Makes sense, right? It's a very strategic kind of approach that he was taking. But he says, we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, prevented him from doing so. Now that's interesting, isn't it? 
thou kept from preaching the the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When he's talking about the province of Asia, he's talking about see these are Roman provinces, right? This is where the Romans are in control. So he's prevented from doing that. I'd like to know how did the Holy Spirit keep him from doing that? I'd like an answer to that question. If anybody can tell me later, I know it'll only be speculation, but I'd be most interested to know how that happened, how the Holy Spirit kept Paul from doing that. Now, when we, it's interesting, I, I just put this up for you to think. This is a, uh, I don't usually put my sidetracks on PowerPoint slides, but I think this is worth thinking about. So Luke's writing this passage and Luke says that the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia, right? So one would assume if if Luke's writing it, that's how he and Paul and everybody felt about it. So the Holy Spirit stopped them from doing that, right? But when you get to 2 Thessalonians and Paul talks about uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Paul talks about how he desired to go visit the Thessalonians... He says that Satan blocked us. How do you tell the difference between God telling you not to do something and Satan blocking you? You don't need to answer me on that, but it's a really interesting question to think about. And it was something that I I faced um, in my own life in relation to my heart surgery because last year when I was planning my trip to Africa for March this year, it was one of the hardest... uh, It was one of the most difficult trips that I've done that I was going to do to arrange. At every hand I seemed to be blocked but eventually things opened up and then I got news oh you're going to need to have heart surgery you can't go on your trip so were all those blockages, were they God telling me that I shouldn't go? I I really don't know the answer to that. I really don't know the answer to that, but these are the conundrums that we sometimes find ourselves in. Is this God at work? Is this the devil at work? What's going on here? And Paul and his companions face these kinds of things. All we know about Paul, though, is that he knew who he was. That comes out clearly in this passage because we have this vision of the man of Macedonia. Now, remember, Paul's already been called by God to preach the gospel. He's had his personal vision of Jesus Christ. He's been told that he's going to be his chosen instruments to the Gentiles. So Paul knows before God who he is. And in that context, he actively pursued whatever God had for him. He was at God's disposal. He was God's man. And he listened to God to guide him on specifics. So I think that if if Paul says the Holy Spirit prevented us or God stopped us. Um, He knows the difference between those two things because he's really sensitive to how the Spirit leads him. So when he gets this vision, he listens to the vision. The man of Macedonia. Now we're talking about... Oh, sorry, we need to go back to the map. Back to the map. So Macedonia is over here, right? See up the top of the map, the orange part, Macedonia and Ikea, we would say Greece, northern Macedonia, those places today. So I guess this vision, come over here and help us. Now Paul doesn't go, oh well, this is just a dream. I'm kidding myself. He says, well, let's respond to this opportunity. Let's respond to this thing. Let God direct us specifically in this kind of way. So he acts on what the Holy Spirit tells him to do and leaves where he is 
and goes across to Macedonia. And he goes across the top of the province of Asia in that Mysian region that we saw to a place called Troas. Now, Troas is not far from ancient Troy. Uh, Troas was quite a large Roman settlement. I'm guessing having, having been to Troas and seen where Paul would have left, there's no port there anymore, but where he would have left from, I'm imagining that the city stretches back at least a kilometre and a half from the port, so quite a sizable place. So Paul goes there because it's a place where he can catch a boat, go across to Samothrace, as it's mentioned, and then travel on down to Neapolis and then on to, as my guide would say, Pilipi. There you go. There's another one. So um, he, he goes there. Now, notice he doesn't, he doesn't indicate that he stops in Samothrace. He doesn't indicate that he stops in Neapolis. But he goes straight on to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district. That's that strategic approach again of Paul to try and influence a strategic place. And there are two encounters here, one with Lydia, one with the jailer. And I want to talk about some common elements that go with both that teach us something uh, about reaching the lost. It's interesting that if you were to go back to the map, you would find that Lydia is living a long way from home. She's from Thyatira or Titera, back in the province of Asia, which was well known for its, um, its, its materials production, its industry of producing materials. And what is Lydia? A seller of purples, right? So she's got a source back home. She's probably a, a, an importer of materials from her home to sell them in Philippi. And Lydia is at the place of prayer because Lydia is a worshipper of God. She's not a believer. She's, not, she's neither a Jew nor a Christian, right? She's a, what they called in those days a God-fearer. And Paul, in his own strategic way, thinks to himself, where can I find people that I might share the gospel with? So he goes to the place of prayer because that's where you find people who are spiritually sensitive. And Paul has a conversation with her and he says that the Lord opened her heart and she responded to his message. This is in verse 14. And then when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said... Come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So here's Lydia. Paul's intentionally gone to a place to make relationship with people in order that he might share the gospel. So that's one story. The jailer story is different and similar. It's different in the sense that Paul wasn't planning to meet the jailer, he was incarcerated, he was put in prison. He only met the jailer because of the circumstances in which he found himself. And there in prison, he and Silas are singing and praising God. And I guess you could say, in a sense, that was like their witness. If you think about that, that everybody who heard would have known what they were believing and thinking because of the, the way that they were singing and praising God. And of course, we had that earthquake and the poor jailer thinks, well, I'm done for. I might as well kill myself because I'm going to be killed anyway. And Paul stops him. And the guy asks, oh, what do, I, what do I need to do? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So here we have two relationships. We have the relationship which happens by intentionality. And we have the relationship which happens through an incident that happens. But both involve 
relationship. I want you to notice that. Relationship is involved in both cases. It's the gospel from person to person. It's not a big campaign. Not that I'm against big campaigns. It's not because of advertising. Not that I'm against advertising. It's not a church service. Certainly not against church services. But it's because one person interacts with one person and shares the gospel message with them. Now often when we think about intentionality, we think about people who leave their place and go to another place. And I just want to show you this photo uh, of my friend uh, Simeon. I always get Simon and Simeon. That's very confusing for me. This is my friend Simon. Simon and his wife Josie Marie, who are Rwandese Christians. He's a lawyer by profession. Last year, they sold up everything that they had and with their five kids have gone to live in another country. They've gone to live um, in Ghana. They were planning to go to Burkina Faso, but they couldn't get permission to go into Burkina Faso. They've settled close to the border to Burkina Faso and they're working with the Fulani people who have come out of Burkina Faso into Ghana and are living there. And his heart is to reach Muslim people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and establish a church amongst them. And it's a joy for me to be... uh, I'm mentoring him, I'm encouraging him. He often contacts me asking for advice, but also we're supporting them. Now, I'm telling you this story not to ask you for your support. You are doing plenty for people. That's not my goal. But would you pray that I'd be able to find somebody to support him like you support those other guys? Will you pray for me in that? Because he really needs um, support. Great, great man. But often we think when people are intentional about sharing their faith, they have to go somewhere special. You know, they have to go cross-cultural or go to another country or another place. But, you know, what happens here? What happens here if that's our view? Well, we we miss the opportunities here if we think that that's our view. Now, this rather grainy, ancient photo has me in it. And Chris, if you can work your magic... I know you're sitting down in the body of the congregation. Shouldn't do that to you, Chris. Um, I'm I'm the handsome-looking guy with the beard just just here. That's me there. That was a wedding that I was in in around 1980, I guess. Before that. Is that old? Oh, okay. Oh, gee, don't remind me how old I am, honey. 77, she reckons. Okay. Now, the reason that I showed, I want to show you this photo is that the groom, who's over on this side, who, like me, looks bound by his time with his hairstyle and mutton chops and stuff, he's the reason that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, in a human sense. He's the reason. Because he came from a Christian family, Uh, Morris will understand this when I say this being a Tasmanian a lot of your friends are relatives (laughs) aha all the Victorians laughed I know that I know you like that a lot of your friends are your relatives as well because you don't have any other options right Um, but he was from a Christian family I was my family were not practicing Christians even though we were sent to Sunday school when I was a kid Um, But he went to a a camp like going to SYG or something like that, right? And he got really reinvigorated in his faith. And we were good friends. We did a lot of stuff together. And he made me his mission in life. And he used to annoy the daylights out of me. He would come and stay with us for the weekend and say, come to the youth group with me. No, I'm not coming to the youth group. Come on, come to the... And he just wore me down mercilessly, you know, in a really nice kind of way. 
Now, he didn't lead me to Jesus Christ. I gave my life to Jesus Christ after a youth group meeting one night. But really, he's the reason that I gave my life to Jesus Christ because he was intentional about sharing his faith with me and about being an example to me and about sharing the gospel with me and, yes, nagging me at times, which I hated, but somehow it worked in my case. It doesn't always work like that. So he had this, without him, it could have been somebody else, but he was the person that God used in my life. Now, I think sometimes what we do as Christians, we celebrate, we really get excited when incidental opportunities come in the gospel. You know, somebody comes back and they they tell you about how they shared the gospel with somebody in the aircraft and how the person was really open and we all go, wow, that's wonderful, that's great, that's fantastic, right? And we celebrate that because it's it's happened in the moment. You know, that doesn't happen to me. As soon as I tell people on the plane that I'm a pastor, they usually want to have an argument or just shut down. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to find another way. Or I get the person who wants to evangelise you about their particular view on life. That doesn't happen to me very often in that incidental way, in that kind of a context. But we need to celebrate more the plod with God kind of witness where people are sharing their faith every day in the way that they live and what they do with people. I think that's to be celebrated more. And the fact is that if we... I think the reason that this happened to Paul was because his whole life was about doing this. And so when the incident came up, it was natural for him to share that. One comes out of the other most often than not. So my question for you is, with whom are you being intentional in the gospel? It's not a hard question to ask, it's a hard question to answer. In preparing for this, I was thinking about my own life and to what extent I've I've lived this way. Because it's easy to say stuff, it's much easier to pray stuff, uh, to, to preach stuff than practice stuff. Any preachers here? Any people here preach? Come on, I know some of you do, all right? Would you say that's true, that it's easier to preach it than to, to practice it? Absolutely. You know, I'd like to be here and tell you that through my Christian life of 40 years, I've led many people to Jesus Christ. I've not. Uh, I was going through my list of people, and as best I can think, probably 10 people. That's not a lot in 40 years, is it? I wish it was more. And yet, you know, the other side of that is that at the moment, I have, I have 15 men in my life with whom I'm in, who aren't believers, with whom I'm in intentional relationship and with whom I've shared my faith. And the way that I look at it, in some, in some respects, it's a numbers game. See, if you, had, if you had 100 people in your church and everybody had a friend who they're sharing with, their faith with, let's imagine that 2% of those people became Christians. How many would that be if you had 100 people? Come on. How many? Two, thank you, two, all right? But you imagine those two people do that. Ultimately, you end up with a multiplication kind of thing that happens. See, I think really the gospel only extends to the extent that we are faithful in being bridges for that. And we don't need to be an evangelist for that to happen. I remember talking at Warrandyke Community Church one time uh, many years ago now, And I said to the church, you know, I I don't have a gift of evangelism. And I don't. 
And one of the guys came up to me afterwards and said, well, you mightn't have the gift, but you did a pretty good job on me. Right? You don't have to give, have the gift of evangelism to be engaged in sharing the gospel. All you need to do is to be a witness. And that, both of these passages have proclamation, where the message is explained. Remember, when this is written, there is no Bible as we know it yet. So, you know, I believe the scripture says, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And we think that that means the Bible. No, that's the message about Jesus Christ. And it's talking there. So these people took the message of Jesus Christ and it was that that people were responding to. I mean, the Bible plays a very important part for us, doesn't it? I remember a number of years ago when we were in the US, um, the Bible in the hotel that we stayed, in the little table next to our bed, was not a Gideon Bible. It was placed personally by the hotel owners and they had written in the Bible these words, um, we'd like to invite you to read and take this book. The message contained in this book has changed our lives and we hope it will be a blessing to you as well. What a personal approach to giving somebody a Bible. So the Bible is really important in that context, but it's not, the Bible is the whole story, but it's also not the whole story in that sense because it's not required that somebody know the whole Bible in order to be converted. It's not required that everybody knows all the verses that are needed for salvation to be converted. What's required is that people meet the person of Jesus Christ. So there are different kinds of proclamation, I think, that suit different sorts of situations. You know, your testimony can be a proclamation of the gospel. When you pray with somebody believing that God will answer their need, when you offer to pray for somebody, that can be a proclamation of the gospel. When you answer people's questions, that can be a proclamation of the gospel. And, of course, explaining the way of salvation is a proclamation of the gospel. I was thinking during the week about a good friend of mine who passed away recently. He was a neighbour of mine and we had a really good relationship and he, uh, he hit some turbulence in his life and I walked with, his through, with him through those things and then I hit some turbulence in my life. And he said to me one day, so how is your faith helping you? Now he's not a believer, right? He asked me, how is your faith helping you through this? Well, I felt really put on the mat, you know. But actually it's an opportunity for me to reflect and to say what God means to me in this circumstance. There's witness in that, right? And then later on when he hit more trouble, he came to me and I prayed with him and he ended up reading the Bible quite voraciously for a while and I thought he was going to get converted until all of his troubles passed away and then all of his interest in spiritual things passed away. So not everybody you're engaged with this in this process will come to Christ, but some will. But I had wonderful opportunities with that man to explain the gospel to him in a variety of ways. But it wouldn't have happened without our relationship. And then, of course, in both these stories, God is at work. Um, Luke writes that God opened Lydia's heart. So God's at work. It doesn't make that statement in the story about the jailer, but clearly God was at work. You know, the fact that Paul ends up in prison, you know, they're singing, God gives the earthquake so they're set free. The the jailer responds with the question, God's at work, right? The story tells you that God is at work. Don't we want to see God at work? Do we want to see God at work at Montmorency Community Church? 
Don't we see God at work in the lives of our family and our friends? Don't we want to see God saving people? That was what Paul's whole heart was here in this story. Now, the great thing about God being at work is it takes the pressure off you and me. You know, when I, I remember the first person I ever saved. Do you hear that language? I, I remember I was a really enthusiastic young Christian and I'd been told that if I can, you know, here's, here's a pattern for sharing the gospel with somebody and if you take them through this, they'll believe, right? And so I did this with somebody and I harangued them until they believed. But they just believed to get rid of me. They, 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 weren't, they weren't really converted at all. I mean, I felt good in the moment because I'd saved them, you know. We don't save anybody. Only God saves people. And the great thing that I like about, about Christian Witness is that, that we can love people, care for people, share with people, testify to them, share the gospel with them, share our hope with them be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. All those things, we can do that and it's really up to God what happens with that. We don't have to be stressed about what happens with that. We don't need to feel the pressure of that. You know, one of the things that um, happens to me when I go to Africa is occasionally I get to speak in evangelistic contexts. I prefer not to do that because um, particularly in Rwanda, the people will respond because you're a white person. Uh, on the times that I've done that, I've said to my interpreter, when we, get to the, when we get to the conclusion, you are going to do the conclusion. Because I want them to respond to Jesus, not to respond to me. Right? Now, it would be easy for me to say, oh, well, I can, you know, I'll get a lot of responses. I'll, you know, you could be manipulative in that place. But it's not about that. You want people to believe genuinely and authentically. And in the end, it's not about me. In the end, it's not about you. It's about what God is doing in somebody's life. And God in his grace chooses to use us in that place. I was somewhere recently in a Christian organisation where the person I went to see introduced me to his colleague as the person who led him to Jesus Christ. I didn't know I did that. And that goes back many years now. So sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. I mean, I knew he'd become a Christian, but I didn't know he attributed me as the mechanism, if you like. But it's not important whether we know that or not. What's important is that we do what God has called us to do and to confidently leave the results to him. So as we conclude, be like Paul, know who you are. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know what God has called you to in life and pursue the purpose that God has for you. You know, if God has for you to be a teacher, be the best teacher for God you can be. If God has for you to be a business person, be the best business person you can be for God. God has for you to be a lawyer, etc., etc. Whatever it is that you do, do the best for God wherever you are. But listen to God for direct to direct you on the specifics. You know, you've got that colleague, and they and they share something difficult with you. What's your response going to be to that? You've got a friend who's in trouble. How are you going to respond to them in a way that brings Jesus into the circumstance? Let God direct you on the specifics and act on what he reveals to you. You know, there are times when God has prompted me with somebody's name and I've done nothing about it. 
The name has come across my mind. I thought, I'll get to that later. And several days later when I meet them, I discover something really significant has been happening in their life that I think God wanted me to be a part of in that moment. But I was too busy. I I, I heard, but I didn't really heed. I didn't act on what I'd heard. And I regret those times that I've, I've done that. Maybe you've had some of those kind of experiences as well. But be intentional in your relationships with people. Not so you can end up like a, a gunslinger with notches on your belt. But be intentional, understanding that the gospel goes through relationship. The gospel goes person to person. And maybe one day somebody will stand here, like I've stood today, and put your photo up and say, that person is the person that I, the reason that I'm a believer. You know, um, Morris talked about the eternal state, you know. We, we take communion until Jesus comes and one day we'll be with him. You know, there's a saying that we have that you can't take it with you. And that's true. You can't take material things with you. But you can take with you the people that you've influenced for the gospel. There's something to think about. Not that you'll get any credit on that day, I'm sure. But how wonderful to be surrounded by people that we've loved and with whom we've shared the gospel. And then out of that, be ready when those incidents come to speak of the hope that's within you. But ultimately, let God do his work because that's what he does. I'm going to pray for us and... uh, then the team will come and lead us in a song and uh, I think Josh is going to pray and we'll have some lunch and be available to chat over lunch. We're staying around to enjoy the free food today. So if anybody's in my circumstance, do what we're doing. Follow my example. Enjoy the free food, okay? Well, Jesus, I want to thank you that you came and that you were intentional in your coming. You came to seek and to save those who are lost, which meant me. And you... When you're here, you're interacted with people and you love people. You talked about God to people. You help people. And Paul and the others who followed you did the same. Help me, Lord, and help every genuine believer here in Jesus to do just the same. To have our eyes open to the people around us so that we may be intentional in relationship, that we may be bridges for the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.